Hello and welcome. I'm Michael Banks, and you're listening to Leadership Luminaries from People Smart. My guest today is Marcello Palazzi, and he'll be talking about regenerative business. And in the process of explaining what this means, Marcello will cover topics such as life-enhancing enterprise, sustainable business, for-benefit corporations, eudaimonia, which means well-being economy, and stakeholder capitalism. So it should be a treat. A little bit about Marcello. He has a BSc and an MSc and an MBA and is an entrepreneur for human progress. Co-founder through his foundation, Progressio in Rotterdam, of over 30 entrepreneurial ventures for public benefit. Pilazzi was born in Milan, educated in Switzerland, UK, USA, and the Netherlands. His latest activities have been to found the B Corps movement in Europe and now partners, an accelerator of the regenerative economy. He is a Harvard and Stanford alumnus, graduating in economics from LSE and Erasmus University. And just a little bit before we start, um, something about PeopleSmart, the company that produces this show. PeopleSmart provides innovative solutions, both virtual and in-person, to organizations in many countries, cultures, and languages, focusing on leadership and people development in the context of digital transformation, change management, culture change, and the increasing need for emotional intelligence. (sighs) There we go. (laughs) So, hello, Marcello. Great to have you on the show. Uh, Hello, Michael. A pleasure being with you. Thank you. You're very welcome. What's the weather like in Amsterdam at the moment? Actually, we had the wonderful weather. It's uh, snowed and now it is uh, a white fairy tale, uh, at least when you're outside the city. So it's would be beautiful. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, we, we've had uh, record low cold temperatures in England. Apparently two nights ago, it was the coldest uh, night in 80 years. So, but, uh, but very pretty with the snow and the sun's out. Yeah, um, bloody cold. <laughs> So, okay, let's get into the questions. Um, So tell me about your journey. What has that been like? I'm good. My journey uh, started um, now with the hindsight, I can say it it started in in my teens. Um, I I was sent uh, to to England um, after Switzerland. And as I started studying economics, it didn't make sense. Uh, it was very disconnected from uh, humanity, from uh, social considerations, from uh, you know the word you mentioned, eudaimonia, well-being. And so I started researching uh, family firms, uh, mostly family firms that actually had integrated this human values into running of their companies. And then also a bit about economies that had done so. And that really kicked me off on a journey uh, that is still continuing after 30 something years. Uh, I think originally uh, the, the kind of seed must have been that uh, my father was an engineer and entrepreneur and his father was a lawyer and a judge. And at home, we always talked about either the law and ethics or business. And sort of that was how I was uh, basically, uh, I, I lived in that environment. And uh, I've always loved entrepreneurship. Uh, I say, you know, without entrepreneurs, we would be living in caves, eating with our hands. And now, of course, uh, we don't. We have a much more 
prosperous life, life for all of us, thanks to entrepreneurs. But entrepreneurs, and that's the question I think we're going to be discussing, what for? What, what are the objectives behind them? And that's been my journey to, to look for a purpose, uh, sort of in a way, an existential purpose that combines entrepreneurship and uh, what do we want to do with our lives? What is it going to, our legacy going to be? Fantastic. Well, you, you, what you're really talking, talking about then is, is meaning, doing something that has meaning. Uh, you're just not uh, doing something in order to get some money at the end of the day. Um, but it's fascinating what you're suggesting. I'm looking forward to this because for myself, I've always been interested in the possibility of business contributing to the wider society to, to make the world a better place. Bit of a cliche, I know, but um, so, so this is going to be great. Why, so and, and next question really is why, why business? You, you, you were looking for a purpose, if you like, and, and meaning, but why did you choose business? So uh, actually, I wanted to study law um, because my grandfather was a lawyer and a judge. But you know, I was Italian, living in the UK. The legal system were different. So I, you know, thought, thinking, looking, and actually, economics. Um, going back to the word eudaimonia and Aristotle, economics uh, used to be a branch of philosophy, and uh, the eudaimonia, meaning the well-being of people. And also oikonomia, which means the, the good management of the household in, in also by Aristotle in the Greek times. Uh, for me, they, they triggered something in me. They were kind of quite existential uh, identities. Plus, I, I ended up uh, in my own time studying the, uh, some of the um, uh, economists in the Austrian school of economics and particularly this gentleman von Mises, who wrote this big book on human action. So, so I would use entrepreneurship rather than business. I think business actually is a bad word, uh, but entrepreneurship uh, uh, or entreprise in, 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 in French, etc., a nicer word. And it really is the, um, the multitude uh, of human action. So we all human beings, seven and a half billion of us, we have dreams, aspirations, and entrepreneurship, in a way, is one of the main uh, vehicle for actualizing those dreams. So that's that was the context for me. Yes, and it's interesting. Can I pick you up on the, the meaning of the word? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, entre, it's sort of between the French, preneur, which means to take, to take between, isn't it? Isn't that the meaning of entrepreneur, I think? So in other words, you can act as a, a conduit for passing goods and services, relationships from yourself to, uh, to others, vice versa. Maybe I'm elaborating, yeah, I'm, over elaborating on that. It's really, you know, just maybe going back to those days, it was the 1980s. Um, for me, entrepreneurship was taking action, taking responsibility, taking initiative. And those were the days of sort of the dying days of socialism, uh, you know, Mrs. Thatcher in the UK. So uh, that was the context. And for me, um, being responsible for your own life or your life of your colleagues and your families, the very important notions that in a way socialism had suppressed because in socialism, you think, well, the state and uh, the apparatus is taking care of people, which we know was not true, is not true. So that that was in the context within which I was uh, studying and, and starting my working life. Right, I get it. So um, let's, let's go to now. What's new in the 20s? 
what's new and um, so um, uh, you know I, I, I shared with you in the last few years I, I started uh, this fantastic movement of the B Corps the B stands for benefit uh, and what really appealed to me uh, was that there was a, a, a method uh, a discipline a certification that basically triggers a lot of questions in companies of how, the, how they do things. And uh, it's of course geared towards benefit. This certification measures the impact, uh, positive or negative, but of course the, the sum is the net impact that the, the company has on society, on itself. Uh, and there is a legal form called the benefit corporation by law. So I've been busy with this. We now have 15,000 of these companies around the world, 4,000 the certified B Corps, and about 12,000 or so of benefit corporation by law in 74 countries. So this is what I'm doing now. And of course, I'd love to elaborate uh, on, on how we got there and where we want to go. What, what is the objectives of what we are doing? Well, please do, because I think it'd be great to sort of give the listeners a bit of a, an idea about, you know, what exactly does it mean in practice? I mean, can you give an example or two? Or, but, but do what you just said. Please go through. How did it start? Where is it going? And so on. So the example, uh, I'll give you an example uh, because I, I well, this is very actual. The other day I was on the phone with um, a company called Ascent. Ascent is an energy company in the Netherlands They're owned by E.ON, which is a, a German, excuse me, an energy company, big German. Uh, and I said to them, how would you like to become the Patagonia of energy? <laughs> and I say this because Patagonia is one of the iconic B Corps. And they are very far in, in uh, say, a reinterpretation of what enterprise is, what business is. So Patagonia says very clearly, our mission, our vision is basically saving the planet. It's not making beautiful, uh, you know, sports clothes or uh, the beautiful things they make. So they have a very uh, existential, uh, futuristic vision of the world and they use business to actualize that vision. And, and you and I know, we remember many years ago when we were working with Anita Roddick, Anita Roddick had the same. She didn't make cosmetics. She wanted to uh, help uh, the Amazons and uh, people who produce their own materials for the body shop to have uh, prosperous and good lives. And one way to do that is to make products that people buy. So in a way, business, commerce, entrepreneurship are instruments for wider purposes. And we see in the B Corp community, which is the beauty of, uh, of our world, that everyone can have a different purpose, uh, a different sub-purpose. So we may all want to have what I call the, the, the Greek trilogy of goodness, beauty, and truthfulness, but the way you actualize it is very different for each company. So someone makes Patagonia products, another is all birds, all birds, is also a very cool B Corp. They started making um, you know, sneakers made of wool instead of plastic. Uh, and they are very successful now, nearly $2 billion in, in uh, asset value. Uh, we have another company called Lemonade, which has disrupted the insurance business, where you can get your claim paid in three minutes, which is something <laughs> amazing. So uh, I can go on and on and on. That's amazing. Ah, love it. <laughs> so these are all examples of uh, leaders, entrepreneurs, uh, and of course behind them you have investors who uh, have a, a, a wider purpose, uh, in a way existential in the sense that 
it goes beyond themselves. So one of my kind of definitions or, or acid test is leaders, entrepreneurs who at least care about others and the planet and the world as much as they care for themselves. It's, you know, you don't want to have saints who only care about others, but at least care about this as much about others as you care about yourself. And that is a very, uh, we see, you know, and, and now younger generations, they, they love this. They, they have been brought up differently. So we have a lot of young companies as well in B Corp. So in a nutshell, this is a sort of, uh, as you know, when we met many years ago, uh, it was sustainable business, responsible business, and mindful business. And now with the, this very uh, real concrete movement of B Corps and benefit corporations, uh, we are really going into the regenerative business uh, you know, phase. Uh, and regenerative uh, clearly means beyond sustainability. It means uh, also very creative because gener generative is creative is creating even more in terms of, uh, you know, I, I go back to beauty, goodness, and truthfulness, even more than what we find. So the purpose is to regenerate, you know, whether we have a, uh, a sort of a presentation with eight facets of regeneration, but it's about people regeneration, it's about organizational structures, it's of course about uh, the use of materials, which is the circularity and the ecological dimension, it's climate, it's leadership, uh, you know, uh, I, I remember maybe in the old days you might have worked with IBM, but now, look, IBM uh, hasn't regenerated itself in the way that Apple has, I mean, Apple, of course, was always permanently regenerating itself. But so how do we actually uh, also help larger companies that have lost their, in a way, regenerative power? Uh, it's not always possible. Sometimes it's better for them to just go and new companies uh, be born. But this regeneration, it's, uh, it's very applicable uh, in, in the day and age where we live, where we know that we have to do something about climate and uh, the general you know, footprint, human footprint on the planet. Uh, and of course, things like inequalities and life chances for people, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's, <clears throat> that's interesting. The, uh... You remind me of uh, conversations I've had recently with um, Philip Morris International, and what they're doing is quite is extraordinarily regenerative. Um, they have decided to, to be tobacco-free, <laughs> having wow. having sold cigarettes for decades. Um, they are, and with that comes a a true transformation of the culture of the organization, the leadership their values, everything. And it's interesting that you, what you've got there is um, a, uh, an older generation of leadership in their say 50s, who are very much of the old school model uh, of the old type of company that P Philip Morris was, or still is, but it's transitioning. And the opportunities there for the, the younger emerging leaders in their 20s and 30s to work out of a totally different model of leadership and for the culture of the organization. But I think that takes a lot of courage to, for an organization that big to, to say, okay, we're gonna get rid of our main product. And we're a multi-billion dollar company. What do you think? I, I didn't know. I mean, I met uh, some people from Philip Morris. Um, I, I will look it up. Uh, it's, it's very fascinating because it, it, that would definitely be a regenerative model. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And the, and the other thing that occurs to me, Marcello, when, um, when you were just talking is the fact that, you know, people tend to simplify things. So they go, oh, well, you know, you're just idealistic. You think you can save the planet while, while being a business person. Well, you know, that's just not realistic. I mean, a lot of people think that way, I think. Um, but what's fascinating is that if you look at the companies that are, um, that you just mentioned, for example, the kind of the B Corp companies, they um, are doing something that's bettering society. They're caring about others apart from themselves as well, but they're doing it in a way that actually captures the marketplace. It's very practical. It's, it's actually commercially uh, intelligent to do that as well as being good for the world. Yeah, no, no, I mean, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, from, from the early days when you and I were talking, and even earlier when I was studying, um, it's very clear that, that there's been a big evolution. Uh, I think nobody could have ever said that business can only succeed if it is, uh, you know, rapacious, extractive, uh, you know, unethical, um, power hungry or, you know, all the, say, uh, re the real politic language you can use. Of course, business can succeed like that and many businesses do. Uh, but what I can say now after 30 years on this journey is that this is absolutely not the only truth. And there is another way. Uh, and the other way is the way of regeneration, sustainability, and uh, in a way, respect. Uh, it's a beautiful word, uh, reverence. Reverence, in a way, reverence for you know, your customers and the planet and uh, basically what we call stakeholders. Uh, if you have some reverence or a lot of reverence, uh, that also uh, creates opportunities. So there is another way. I think what's also happening is because of the uh, shrinking planet, and uh, we all know, you know, how many people on the planet, the resources we use, the climate, etc. It will become more and more difficult to be of the first kind, you know, rapacious, extractive, and power hungry, uh, because you're reaching the limits of what is possible. And there is also, of course, the the uh, coming of. Uh, transparency, uh, technology, everyone knows everything. So uh, reputation is also important. And like Philip Morris, you know, Philip Morris, it's a good question. Why do they do that? I don't think they're doing this because uh, suddenly they wake up and think, oh, wow, you know, we have to have another business. I think they do that because they see that uh, tobacco is not going to be the business of the future. So entrepreneurs uh, are flexible and, and they can change um, because, you know, we know, we know this from all these uh, philosophies of fates, um, of universal values, everything is always changing. And so now we have these big changes going on and business either has to adapt or some say more enlightened leaders, they know from inside that their, their vocation and the way they do business can be different. Uh, and now, you know, we, we know now, you know, we have all these companies, thousands of companies that have done it and are very successful in doing that. I give you an example of another company that, you know, is now a B Corp, but I've known them for many years, Triodos Bank. So Triodos Bank started in the Netherlands, now UK, Spain, Belgium, etc. 
for 40 years, every year traders has grown a little bit, never too rapidly, never too many fancy things, but they didn't get a penny because they didn't have to be bailed out. They never paid a fine for ethical uh, you know, misconduct. And they are now uh, a really hot bank. And you know some of the other banks in the Netherlands, but elsewhere that uh, got bailed out, they wish they could have been as steady and uh, in a way ethical as Triodo. So this is a way of business that can be very uh, sustainable financially too. Fantastic. Um, I just want to remind the, the listeners here that um, I am talking to Marcello Palazzi, um, who is uh, the founder of the B Corp movement in Europe, and also now partners an accelerator of the regenerative economy. And um, we're talking about such things as, we haven't mentioned this phrase yet, although I did at the introduction, but life enhancing enterprise. And um, the eudaimonia, I had to say that again, because I got it right this time. <laughs> eudaimonia, which is well-being economy and stakeholder capitalism. Very exciting new world that we're moving into. And Marcello is one of the pioneers of this new um, sort of merge of, of, you don't like the word business, um, entrepreneurship with um, helping things be better in the world as a generalization. So um, what, what, what would you say, if we just turn to leadership at the moment, Marcello, what kind, I mean, what you're describing are small organizations, tiny emerging organizations, startups, as well as big ones, massive Definitely. ones. What's the profile of the, if you like, the ideal profile of a leader um, yeah. who, can, who can do this? So that's very, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, and I I am very excited because uh, my uh, conclusion, uh, and of course it's always evolving, but my conclusion so far go back to, um, to uh, our friend, uh, from Harvard, uh, Gardner. What's his first name? You remember oh, the guy of multiple Howard Gardner. Howard so Gardner. Howard Gardner, yeah. Gardner wrote this fantastic book of multiple intelligences. So um, uh, I, I was very lucky to meet him. Uh, he has influenced me a little bit, but I think that uh, what I really have learned is that it is definitely not an either or. It's much more about multiple intelligences. Or, or multiple uh, capabilities, as Amartya Sen would say. So take Anita Rodic, whom you remember. So Anita, she was on the one end, a very smart entrepreneur, clearly. She was also a very smart teacher, communicator. She loved to communicate the stuff. And thirdly, she was a very, uh, she was very socially aware socially and in a way also planetary awareness she 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 felt she felt what uh, was what the needs of people the needs of planet were um, and then i can go on and on but she had this kind of multiple cap capabilities and this is what i think leaders could have those it, at all times even if you go back to i know i was often reading about the, the, the Stoics, people like Seneca in Rome, etc. But great leaders, in a way, always had this, uh, as I think Walt Whitman called, I contain multitudes. 
is that containing these multitudes in you, in your leadership uh, uh, personality. So, uh, and on the other hand, I think that what has happened is that a lot of the leaders have become very reductionistic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you know, you know, if, if there is this, you know, 50, 60 years ago, many leaders, uh, business CEOs, they were engineers, they were maybe some biologists or chemists, uh, and they became CEOs. And then there was this wave of accountants and economists. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, unfortunately, too often, accountants and economists are quite um, reductionistic. And so I think we are now in a new phase where um, we see more people entering business and climbing the, the ladders of corporations. Uh, people like Fake Sabesma at DSM, a Dutch company. He, he was a biologist. He came from biology and he was fascinated with life. So DSM is about enhancing life. That's how they call their company. So uh, it, you get a very different perspective when you can combine these multiple capabilities, multiple intelligences. So for me, these regenerative leaders are these people who have a holistic, mm-hmm. integral view of the world. And they see this, go back to what we said earlier, entrepreneurship is not an objective. It's a means to achieve other objectives. Objectives are enhancing life or human progress, or, uh, you know, people can say this in different ways, but it's about uh, what is your contribution on this world, in this world, on this planet? Uh, what do you do with your life? Yeah. And you use business as a tool, but not the other way around. Business is not the objective, business is a tool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's what I'm really delighted about, I'll be honest, is that, you know, going back, you know, 30 years or whatever, um, or longer, uh, actually, um, there was this hope that we would value um, how people felt, how people were living their lives according to, to their truth, to, being, uh, to be authentic, to be coming from the heart, and dare I say, even to take a loving perspective um, you know, and love back then, back in the eighties and nineties, you don't, you don't talk about love in business. <laughs> it was a totally verboten, but, but I think what I'm delighted about now is that, um, and what you're describing is, is that the, the, the leaders that are emerging and the future leaders, and maybe some even of the leaders who've transformed themselves because they've woken up to what's important, uh, really important are actually realizing the value of how, people feel the spirit of people what's the morale like are you doing something that's meaningful that's contributing because if you are you're likely to be on the way to fulfillment fulfilling your potential and feeling good about yourself and the world and giving therefore uh, uh, more of yourself that is of the good versus the uh, the inward looking so i'm thrilled about it uh, I, well I, I am too michael and i think that um you know, in a way, um, you talk about eudaimonia. So eudaimonia was this word that I think Aristotle or the Greeks used mm. for well-being. The well-being, and you can call it the, the, the thriving, a thriving humanity, thriving people. Because um, ultimately, if you look, so if 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 you if if we stay on the course we are, uh, very reductionistic. Um, 
in a way, very extractive way of uh, of running our economies. Yep. We see the results, you know, there's, yep. there's hardly any fish left in the world, you know, pollution, climate, uh, we know, you know, the planetary boundaries, uh, we are getting up against limits. Yep. And so if we continue like this, then we'll have we have no planet left. We have no uh, ecosystem left. Mm -hmm. So it's really, um, you know, we can't go on like this. I think and anyone would understand. Uh, you have to be really a bit of a blockhead not to understand it. <laughs> and so, you know, maybe 30 years ago, people like us, we were intuitively trying to, to do it in this way. Mm -hmm. And now, now it becomes the norm. It has to be the norm. And this is why we see in the Bikov movement uh, so much, um, you know, uh, so much demand. And I think we have now nearly 1,200 companies waiting on the waiting list. Uh, so finally, finally, uh, things are waking up. Absolutely. But it is about this, um, it's, it's this integration. In a way, this, people say, you know, this Cartesian revolution, this kind of segmentation and uh, you know, going deep into silos, disciplines, uh, has obfuscated the need to be holistic yeah. and to connect. Uh, you know, I, I you, maybe you know uh, this, this amazing guy, Rudolf Steiner, yes. who, maybe 100 years ago, or, I don't know, 80, 90 years ago. He was, the, in a way, the father of um, this integrated thinking that you know um, agriculture energy uh, medicine uh, ar architecture they can they can be all connected you can see them as being connected mm -hmm. and clearly now we know look at health you know after the enormous advances in medicine we realize that uh, being healthy isn't about taking the next pill but it's a much more holistic so in a way the holistic um, you know evolution of medicine is quite similar to what we see now in business. It's a sort of holistic evolution of business uh, because this is the way that the world uh, is. And this is the world, whether you believe in God or not, this is the way the, the planet is and the, and the globe. It is holistic. Yeah, I, the, my, I always use the expression big picture. Uh, when a good leader is a leader who sees the big picture, who can connect the dots the, the connectivity of all these things that you're talking about, you're using the word holistic. Um, and it's the same with the human body. It's the same with business and society and the relationship between them and so on. So uh, I've got to ask this question, though. What could go wrong? Well, uh, what could go I mean, so the, going back to uh, this great guy, von Mises, this yeah. Austin economist uh, with his big book, Human Action. Um, if we allow um, a, a more kind of decentralized, um, you know, decentralized systems, which I think many of our economies and countries are, you know, they, they go with democracy, they go with the, all the, in the various freedoms of, of speech, of uh, et cetera, et cetera. In these, say, pluralistic open society. Yeah, George Soros will call them open societies. Um, the risks are lower that something could go wrong. And I often make the uh, comparison, as I say, the EU or the US. In the EU, the good thing is because you have 27 member states, you're likely to have at least some good leaders among 27. 
So there is a really high chance that their action will, will surface and more or less you go in the right direction. When like in the US, you have one leader and you get the wrong leader, then you're stuck. So the pluralism, the biodiversity in that sense of, of leaders is an insurance towards things going wrong. I think if they go wrong, it's because either you have uh, say dictatorial autocratic regimes uh, that impose their will on, on people and they impose the wrong will. Sometimes you may get the right will, but the chances are it doesn't always work like that. Uh, we've seen it in history, you know, good power, bad power, you know? Yeah, power can be good, but it can also be bad. So, uh, so that could be a risk. Second, in a way, big risk that we see now is this, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and um, going, you know, going very far, which is going to go anyway, but it will not be properly governed. So we will end up uh, creating monsters or creating uh, a world with no no workers. And uh, so we have to watch it. But in general, I mean, I'm optimistic because I think that um, the world has never had so much knowledge. We've never been so resourceful in terms of everything we have. Um, freedoms, uh, democracies. So the elements are there for being successful as we go on. I think people like, um, there is this great guy in Norway, I think he passed away, Arne Ness. Arne Ness was the father and the writer of deep ecology. So someone like Arne Ness would say, a bit like, you know, Fritch of Capra or, or the Gaia theory, James Lovelock. These people would say that the real danger is that uh, we are too late in doing what we begin to do now a little bit. And therefore, uh, we're basically going to destroy the planet. And I don't think it will be a total destruction, but it could very well be that many people in many countries will not survive. You know, Bangladesh and, you know, parts of many countries could be submerged. There could be uh, worse climate disasters. Uh, there'd be, of course, as we know now, all these tens of millions of, uh, you know, environmental refugees around the world. So, you know, we create a very unequal world where some countries and people will survive and others will not. And that will be very tragic if we let that happen. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I'm like you, I'm, I'm positive or optimistic rather, uh, because I think one thing that I like to remind myself that we should never forget is the fact that um, amazing things are possible uh, when you think they're not and things can change very quickly. In the same way as things are moving faster and faster, I think also the, the opportunity to transform has, has sort of increased. I, I'll never forget the fall of the Berlin Wall, you know, uh, which, which was such a shock. How on earth could the Soviet Union suddenly overnight kind of dissolve? Or for example, how on earth was there peace between the Catholics and the Protestants in Northern Ireland? You know, that was decades long and you thought, well, there's no way it's ever gonna be resolved. I think we have to have faith that, you know, if we're doing all of this together, like-minded, good people, then it's amazing what can be achieved. So the alternative is lying down saying, ah, I can't do anything about it. 
<laughs> I'm just going to get drunk. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, but yeah, seriously, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that some people do that, but I, I think I'm reminded that um, uh, in, in one of the uh, round tables that we organized with the Vatican, uh, we invited this wonderful uh, leader, Emmanuel Faber of Danone, and he was we asked him to be provocative and he provoked us by saying that we should really be rethinking about private property. Meaning that actually we are stewards of this planet. We are not really the owners. So when th this comes to the individual level, I mean, it's fantastic you have those billionaires, you know, I mean, it's, hey, I take my hat off to Elon Musk and Bill Gates, wonderful. Uh, but there is a danger that they, they start seeing that it is their right and all these billions are theirs rather than they've been entrusted to make the best. Yeah, and and so my and I, I I'm not by no means thinking socialistically, but my latest thought is that we should reinvent citizenship, and citizens also have obligations towards their society and their and their you know those around them, and therefore the more you have, the more you have to be a steward of yeah. what you have. So I think that if these billionaires and millionaires and others would. Uh, we create the incentives for them to reinvest their surplus wealth into things that are good for the society, you know, schools, uh, hospitals, uh, you know, well-being for people, etc. And we have the models now, you know, you're speaking from the UK, Sir Ronald Cohen created this, he calls it the impact revolution. Uh, he's been, you know, with big society capital, with uh, impact investing. He has shown the social bonds that actually you can invest money in these social services that are good for, for people, mm. schools, hospitals, etc. It's not a charitable gift. You can invest, build new schools, new hospitals. So all the billionaires will have their money back, but that money will circulate for the good of all. So I think we need to do something like that. If we can I agree. Read. Hallelujah. <laughs> I well, you know, but I mean, it is not, again, fantastic if they have all these billions, but they have an obligation and, and also in terms of their legacy to, uh, and you know, they have this billionaire's pledge. I don't even think you need that. As long as you reinvest your surplus wealth into the society around you, uh, and that will be a big shift. If, if we could do that, it would be a huge change. I agree. Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, Marcello, I invited you on the show um, because the title of the show is Leadership Luminaries. And I truly believe that you are a leadership luminary. And, you know, your pioneering work in moving in growing the B Corp movement, uh, your work with Now Partners, accelerating regenerative econ economy um, is Fantastic. And now I know you've got a waiting list of 1200 or whatever, but, but I'd like people to know how they can get in touch with you because some of the people listening to the show will be young entrepreneurs and even older entrepreneurs. They might say, Oh, I've got to give him a get in touch with Marcello because I'm interested in, you know, being a B Corp myself for my company. 
Um, how how would they best uh, get in touch with you, Marcello? Okay, well, sure. So, well, luckily we have a fantastic team, uh, over 250 people working at uh, B Lab. So B Lab is the organization behind the B Corps. The website is bcorporation.net. Mm -hmm. uh, and also if you Google, you can Google uh, B for benefit and impact assessment. I think it's beimpactassessment.net. And you can start, so it's important that I say this, uh, any company, one man band, one woman band, or Unilever, uh, or Apple, they can all become B Corps and they can start uh, and many times, often they can finish the whole journey on their own. It's a sort of self-assessment, but the bigger the company, the more uh, kind of audits they have to do because obviously it's more, more complex, there are more things to check, et cetera. So anyone can go on the bcorporation.net or the bimpactassessment.net and start the process. It's right. actually free of charge. It costs nothing. Only at the end of the of the process, if you score, you have you score between zero and two hundred. If you score at least eighty, you can then just click an email and say, "Wow, fantastic! Uh, could we have the logo?" And then for the logo, you pay a fee. It's a sliding fee depending on the size of your company. Right. Uh, but I, I, you don't have to have a logo. You can just do the assessment, measure yourself and see how you measure against others. And then if you, if you care for the logo and join the community, you pay a fee. Sounds very good. And also, you've, of course, you're on LinkedIn as well, if people want to contact you directly there as well. Yeah, and there is, I mean, let me just mention a few other things. There is uh, bethechange.com. So just bethechange.com, all one word, is our uh, platform on Medium with all kinds of uh, articles, uh, uh, some books about B Corps, videos, etc. Uh, for those in the UK, because in, in each, well, in each continent uh, around the world, we have a B Lab. So in the UK, there is B Lab UK. You can contact B Lab UK. Uh, in Europe, it's B Lab Europe. US is B Lab US in Canada, and all, all the way to you know. Uh, all around the world, South Africa, East Africa, South America, Sistema Bay. So anyway, from the bcorporation.net, you can find your way around the world. Excellent. Well, actually, our listeners uh, come from all over the world. We, uh, our biggest listenership is in America, in the USA. And we also have a lot of uh, listeners from India and Asia um, and places like South Africa, Australia, um, as well as, of course, Europe. So and South America. Um, so that's great. Um, Marcello, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very, very much. And I hope that uh, people have got some inspiration from this. There's a practical uh, call to action if you want everybody uh, to get involved and see if you'd like to be a B Corps um, and find out more about it. And Marcello just gave you all those uh, different links, if you like. Uh, anything you'd like to say finally, Marcello? Yeah, finally. Um... I say that, um, you know, we all work, we spend most of our days at work. Uh, you know, some people may want to obviously work less and have more leisure time, which would be fine. Uh, but this is a very different, of course, you know, people have all, always worked, you know, whether they work the land and, and, uh, and, and obviously sometimes even in much worse conditions that people have to work today. But 
we are now with seven and a half billion people, probably, I don't know, three or four billion people work every day. Uh, and it's not going to be enough for us to only think about the good life at the weekend or in the evenings. We should, should I, I, I should yeah. is not the right word, but uh, uh, if, we, if we change our mindset and look at what we do every day at work as part of our well-being and our, what we aspire to, uh, to have in our lives, that makes a big difference. We, 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 so we don't look at work just as a way to earn money and, uh, and then do the good things in life, but connected and integrated. So I think that will be, for me at least, that's a very inspiring thought uh, that we integrate is go back to being holistic. We integrate uh, the world of work with the world of our aspirations as human beings. Fantastic. Thank you. That's a, a very nice summary and a good uh, way to finish up this interview. Um, I hope that you get some inquiries. And uh, again, thank you very much. Good to see you Michael, again. Fantastic. Thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. Take care.